Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Um, it sure has been a long week. It has been. It's been a pretty difficult week. A lot of a lot of emotions happening on Twitter to the point that I actually had to log off Twitter at a certain point just for my own emotional well-being, I think. Yeah, that was probably the best uh, the best bet because uh, if you go on Twitter at a time like this, you just kind of wind up being like a, a cat chasing its tail around and around and around. Yeah, you see a lot of really devastating stories that are extremely hard to read, but then you also see a lot of people getting very angry about those stories, and so it becomes a... A real vortex of emotions, I think. It really does. And then people RT those stories, and you see that they like them, and it just, it, it is, as you said, a vortex. I think that one thing that is worth addressing is the fact that Chris Avalone was among the people who uh, was accused of sexual harassment by some parties. Uh, Chris Avalone has been on this podcast before because he has a long history in the games industry. I think it's worth acknowledging uh, that, and it's unfortunate and very sad. And I think it shows the danger maybe in taking these people who, you know, they make video games and they're very good writers and elevating them almost into this kind of like mythic figures. Like, I think we have to be careful about that. Yeah, it's definitely a bad week to have heroes. Uh, to all the, to all our listeners, all I ask is that uh, when people come forward with these stories, please believe them. And please don't think to yourself, but the person they're accusing is very good at making video games. There are more important <laughs> things, I think. Those things aren't exactly mutually exclusive. Like, it's you can be very good at something and be very bad as a person. Yeah, I, there are many instances of people who are absolutely brilliant at creating art and really absolutely terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely a few. Uh one suggestion that I have seen passed around on Twitter about this whole thing is that, you know, these conventions stop having these these big parties that are just full of alcohol because they really don't lead to anything good. Maybe. Uh, stuff like that's happening with uh, the hotels, at, like the JW Marriott at E3, that's not an officially sanctioned party. It's just, it is what oh, it is. Oh, just like people lounging around and drinking, yeah. yeah. There's always going to be these sorts of events it's like i i don't want to stop drinking at these events i actually like drinking mm -hmm. i don't go overboard ever but i do find as someone who is generally uh, a little bit shy and awkward in person i find that yes yeah, sometimes having a drink or two does make me a little bit more you know loose and uh, easier to talk to and i think that's a big help for me it's just people tend to just go overboard and uh, you know just watch yourself when you're drinking be careful everyone I think maybe the these gatherings where people can drink is a symptom of a larger problem in which powerful men feel like they can prey on young women, maybe with impunity. And yes. if we can maybe got, get powerful men to stop being awful, our <laughs> big ask, I know, we can get to a point where it doesn't feel dangerous to go drinking at one of these industry events. I totally agree. It has to start with them, you know, just stop. Don't abuse your power. Don't wave around your credit card, your obsidian credit card saying, hey, everyone, drinks are on me, and then just continually buying young women drinks. It's really, really not good. I'm just sad that so many women come into this business with a genuine, real love of games, and they're like, I'm going to 
write about video games or make games. This is great. And then they have these men who are posing as mentor figures and then take advantage of them, and it sucks. It really does suck because you put all your – so much relies on that mentor figure. Like, I've had great mentors. I had Jeremy Parrish. I've had – John Davison was a fan. Was, I was like, it's an honor that I got to be mentored by John Davison. And they're just excellent people. But, God, if you have a bad mentor who exploits you or takes advantage of you, that can, that can easily ruin you as a person. It just makes me shudder to think about it. Well, this isn't the first time this has been brought up, and unfortunately it's not going to be the last. But on that really heavy note, let's talk about what's going to be happening in this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God. Uh, Nadia, today, as of the release of this podcast, it is the 20th anniversary of Diablo 2, and we're going to celebrate by talking about the five best games that are like Diablo. Beyond that, we're also going to be doing our track of the week, and we're going to be reacting to this cyberpunk stream in which we got to see new gameplay demos. Unfortunately, we didn't get to play it because boo, no. CD Projekt. <laughs> we got left out. Let us play, for heaven's sake. We want to try it. Let us in. Let us in. I really need to try that. Well, I'll get into it, but I really need to try that game before I really know what I'm going to feel about it. Before we get to all of that, if you enjoy the podcast, can I recommend that you go and give us a rating? We're up to a 4.7 on iTunes. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> That is, that is quite good. Thank you very much, everyone. Yeah. Um, keep that number climbing. Yeah, we really appreciate reading the very nice and positive reviews from all, you all. It definitely buoys our mood, I think, for sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Kappa. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. And US Gamer is at all of the US Gamer channels. We also stream every Friday now at 1 p.m. Pacific, I think. Or is it? No, 1 p.m. something. I think it's 1 p.m. Pacific is when yeah. Eric Van Allen is streaming. He usually has indie devs, and this week he had uh, the Fanbyte folks on to play Valorant with. So, yeah, good stuff. You should uh, go check that out. Uh, we also have a newsletter that comes out every single week. It comes out on Wednesdays. And, Nadia, what is the topic of this week's newsletter? Well, it's kind of funny because the newsletter, I write it on Wednesdays, and that happened to line up with the Pokemon presentation that aired on Wednesday morning. And there were a lot of people who woke up early to learn that they were getting a, a Pokemon MOBA when they really wanted, uh, going by the Twitter trends, they really wanted a remake of uh, Sinnoh, which is uh, Diamond and Pearl. And they did not get that. They got their, they got a Pokemon MOBA. And I totally, I am not down on this MOBA. I don't know if I'm going to play it. I'm not a fan of MOBAs, never have been. Who knows, Pokemon might give me that sweet, you know, treat that I need to make myself interested in it. But um, I understand why the Pokemon company is teaming up with Tencent to make this, because it is probably going to be quite huge in China, and they don't really have an established fan base in China for Pokemon, because for a long time the games just weren't released officially over there. So yeah, I can understand why they want to kind of perk up their image over there, but I also understand why people might have been a little disappointed to tune into the, the feed expecting something and getting com something completely different. So my question was to people, hey, do you want, what do you want, like, out of the future, the immediate future of Pokemon? Uh, do you want the, you know, a Pokemon Gold and Silver uh, remake in the, in the manner of Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu, Let's Go Eevee? Do you want those Sinnoh remakes? Do you just want, uh, the, do you just want Game Freak to really concentrate on getting the DLC right for Sword and Shield? Because according to leaks, that we know about the crown tundra the crown tundra is actually looking quite huge so that's all you know grain of salt because it's all leaks but um 
could be run for something very interesting this fall. So, yeah, it's just a ma- it was just a question like, what would you like to see from Pokemon's immediate future? I have a few thoughts on this, Nadia. Mm-hmm. Thought number one is, I think Pokemon Let's Go should be done. I don't think I don't want a Pokemon Let's Go Johto. I wouldn't mind seeing it. I understand it's totally for kids, but I also feel like it does a really good job introducing kids to, uh, you know, the great enormous capitalist beast that is Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> the enormous capitalist beast. I think it just waters it everything down that much further, and while it connects to the core series and everything i just don't see the point like we said or like we've said in the past it, it is really good for kids it's I legit kids pokemon it. for babies it is for yeah, the young cute. young kids i enjoyed it for what it was and I, I did like the fact you can ride on your favorite pokemon i i want that in the new games thank you uh point number two is that uh, i don't really understand the point of a pokemon diamond and pearl remake neither do i to be honest with you they're not my favorite regions I like Sinnoh a lot better than most, but even I acknowledge that ultimately Pokemon Diamond and Pearl is kind of a pale copy of Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire. The only, the main benefit to it is that it goes out and improves, it it restores a lot of the functions that were left out from Ruby and Sapphire and bringing back things like, you know, weekday events and the day night cycle and things like that but uh, the original game like Sinnoh as a region the only thing that's interesting about it is that it's cold (laughs) yeah it's cold it's snowy it's it's based on Hokkaido isn't it or Hokkaido yeah Hokkaido that's it so yeah it's uh, it would be quite cold and damp and snowy it doesn't have a memorable story no I don't remember it at all yeah I don't remember much of the story at all team galactic I think it is like they're not an interesting team I think literally the best thing to come out of Diamond and Pearl is a the meta game was awesome, like mm-hmm. the competitive meta game was so much fun. Especially, uh, it brought a lot of really important improvements into the way that it, it it changed up the typing. So now you had it used to be that fire was always a special attack, right? Right, they changed that where fighting was always a physical attack, and it changed it so you could have special fighting attacks or physical fighting attacks, and that kind of revolutionized a lot of builds for a lot of particular Pokemon and everything. That that was great. But it was really a generation of refinement more than being a revolution. And I think that's especially the case if you just look at the Pokedex, which is so dominated by evolutions for first-gen, second-gen Pokemon. If I'm not mistaken, it was the first game to go online. So that was definitely a big step, really unique, but not exactly novel in this day and age. A lot of its innovations were big for the time, but if you look back now, you kind of go, eh. I, I like Sinnoh. You know, I have very fond memories, but I think that a lot of those fond memories stem from the fact that I was living in Japan when I was playing it, so. You were there for a couple of generations then, weren't yeah. you? <laughs> uh, I, I have a lot of nostalgia for Gen 4 just because that was when I happened to be living in Japan and I got it several months before it came out in the U.S. and everything, and so I was... Oh, you were lucky. Yeah. Look at me, I'm playing Pokemon. So I was super involved in the original release of it, but if you look back at it, the original does not play well because it is really slow, like almost unbearably so. And when you go on... Yeah. And when you go online, the 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 it moves at such a glacial pace that is practically unplayable. Yeah, I remember going online with it and just being like, wow. And of course, you would disconnect half the time anyway, so. So yeah, 
Diamond and Pearl was kind of a watershed moment for the community and everything, because that's when the com- com- competitive community as we know it really took off in a big way, and and everything like that. Being connected to the online was a huge moment for the series, but it also just doesn't translate necessarily into a remake, and I suspect that unless they bring back the Battle Frontier, grr, 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 <laughs> I suspect a Diamond and Pearl remake would ultimately fall flat. A game that maybe doesn't fall flat is Pokemon Sword and Shield, which, you know, Nadia, I just finished Sword yesterday. Yay, congratulations. Yes, I am the champion of the Gala region. There's no other champion but me. Of course not. Of course not. In many ways, it feels like this game was a little rushed. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, it probably was. Because, especially like the finale, where it doesn't really come together in any meaningful way. And also, you don't fight the Elite Four. It's a, it's a tournament. Where no, there's no Elite Four. It's a, it's a tournament, which I think was kind of neat. It was different, but uh, I always liked the Elite Four. I love this, the notion of Pokemon with soccer trappings, because two things I really like is Pokemon and soccer. So, Yeah, it captured that really well, like the whole stadium culture. I actually really enjoyed the fight against Rayhan, the Dragon Trainer. That was uh, mm. That was pretty good. I just... I brought... Uh, with the most recent evolution, I brought evolution expansion. I brought most of my Pokemon back over, and so I had a full level one hundred team ready to just <laughs> completely Everyone. wipe the floor with everybody. So yeah, everyone died. The end. <laughs> I, I just like the the grand finale where the Charizard goes into super mode or gigantic max mode. Yeah. And I just, awesome. like, I didn't even bother going into Gigantamax mode with my Hydreigon. I just shot it. It died. <laughs> just kicked it in the ankle, and that was the end of that. Bah, 40 levels higher. Did you do the bit with, like, the post-game with Hop and the weird guys with the weird hair? I'm going to do that now. But actually, right. first, though, I I actually picked up Pokemon Sun again because... oh. I kind of want to wrap up all of the loose ends with that. And in that game, I didn't get ever get around to catching all of the legends. By the yeah, way, I never did that either. If you don't mind uh, sending me over the Pokemon Moon version of the legendary, I'd be much obliged so I could complete my collection. <laughs> yeah, I have it somewhere. Yeah. I, uh, tone or whatever it's called. I'm in the process of catching Ultra Beasts. So I pick up Ultra Moon or Ultra Sun again and was going through the ultra wormholes everything is ultra in this game very ultra oh, of course it is ultra 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 and i was flying through and catching various ultra beasts and i'm also trying to get one last ribbon for my flareon and then then i will head over to pokemon sword and wrap all of that stuff so i got a lot of pokemon ahead of me nadia you do so uh, good luck with that thank you uh I was going to say that I don't think Pokemon Sword, I think this is a, Pokemon Sword deserves a better reputation than it gets. I, I think it's actually a pretty good game. It was probably the Pokemon game I poured most hours into. I just found I really enjoyed running around the wild area and catching Pokemon that I could see. I like the Gala region as a whole. I like it too. Yeah. It's, I like it very much. It's very pretty and it's very, it, it definitely has strong echoes of the British countryside, which when you're not actually in the British countryside, it can be quite pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it's pretty when you observe it from a distance yeah when you look at pictures of the british countryside you're like wow how gorgeous when you're actually at the british countryside you're like wow how gray and cold how muddy yes very drizzly here because i actually do want to tour the real watership down someday oh where is that 
Uh, somewhere in, in the Britain, I don't know. I'll just go somewhere, there and walking around. Somewhere in England. Somewhere in England. I'm, I'm sure I can walk it in a day. I had the day off on Thursday and I was watching a documentary, a soccer documentary called Sunderland Till I Die, which is about a town in the northeast of England. And you just look at it and you go, ooh, <laughs> whenever they show pictures. <laughs> it's like stark. It's really beautiful. It has this medieval, wonderfully medieval look. Everything is this rich shade of green. But I can also feel like the cold penetrating my bones whenever I see the seaside. Yeah, just looking at that sort of thing makes my fibromyalgia flare up. <laughs> All right, let's move on and talk about Cyberpunk, Nadia. So Cyberpunk had a big old stream. A bunch of games, media got to go hands-on with the prologue, which is apparently like four hours long. This game is seriously never going to end. Nope. We were not among that games media because apparently... Uh, there were very limited spots owing to the fact that there's like direct remote streams going on. Cyberpunk was a thing. Uh, what did you think of the stream, Nadia? Um, well, the stream live, I didn't get to catch that because I was really busy with a feature that will be going up next week. But I did kind of go back and watch the trailers. I watched part of the stream and I just don't know what to think about Cyberpunk. I, I desperately want to feel excited for it, but I'm just not getting any sort of vibe from it. And I'm feeling like some child that should be, if you want to use a really dark metaphor, some like, you know, mother that should be in love with her child, but can't conjure up that, that, that matronly love for some reason, because something's gone terribly wrong. And that's how I kind of feel about cyberpunk. I just, when I hear the dialogue, it's so bad that I, I can't really get attached to any of the characters, any of the, the world around it. And I am someone who plays JRPGs where people do nothing but scream like, move names like Dragon Ball Z characters and like say the same 10 words over and over again about love and friendship and I'm like yay this is so much fun even though it's kind of stupid but I don't know cyberpunk is just like we're saying a lot of naughty words and they don't really mean anything because we keep saying them and maybe I'll feel different when it comes out I'm just not feeling it yet it's not your kind of game really no it's not if it were called <laughs> Suikoden in 2077 you'd be like oh man game of the year here we go Maybe. I can look at a crappy Suikoden game and say, yeah, this is crap. I'm not playing it. <laughs> Hence, like, everything after 3. Even 3 is kind of touchy. Uh, Carolyn Pettit, I think, and she's she's a very good game critic. Uh, I mm, think she, she made a really good comment about Cyberpunk where she said it looks too clean. Where yes. It looks so glossy and so beautiful, but there's so much, there's a grit that makes that is needed to make cyberpunk a lot more relatable or believable. And maybe it's missing from this vision that they're putting forward. Yeah, I could see that being the case. Something about the dialogue they use does not match the world that they live in. It is missing that layer of grit that you get from Akira or, of course, Blade Runner or anything that's actually really cyberpunk. This is going to sound like probably the weirdest thing I'm going to say on this show ever. But one movie that really kind of nails that aesthetic was the super mario brothers movie oh how so okay and just the world like that the, the world and everybody it was designed hmm. it was designed by the guy who actually did the blade runner sets and he really captured that aesthetic of here's this post-apocalyptic world that is ruled by dinosaurs who kind of stopped giving a shit a long time ago and it really captures that like i really i had i believe the super mario brothers movie world more than i believe in cyberpunk's uh, 2077 and that's where we are right now ladies and gentlemen i'm sorry they should put that on the box 
<laughs> it's not the Super Mario Brothers movie. What is wrong with you people? I believe in the Super Mario's movie world more than I believe in this. U.S. Gamer, 5 out of 5. <laughs> R.I.P. my Twitter mentions. I, I don't know. I'm, up, I'm more up on it than you are. I think it's really hard to show the many, many different layers of this game. Like, we could talk about it all we want. We can talk about the surplus of... Uh, the 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 sheer scope of the world and the surplus of choices and how it's gonna yeah. uh, how it's going to capture cyberpunk, but until we've played it all the way through, it's really hard to talk about it effectively. Uh, RPGs totally just don't demo very well. They really don't, and I will fully admit to that. And I am not going to like give up or uh, poo poo the game until I've actually at least like ha- seen what the consensus is. And giving it maybe a try for myself. Because for all I know, I could fall in love with it. Maybe I don't have to listen to the stupid dialogue. Maybe I could do something completely different. I probably can do something completely different. And just kind of get lost in my own little world that I create for myself. I'm okay with that. You're right. That kind of thing doesn't demo properly. So I will wait until November. Just for now, with the trailers and the demos, I'm like, uh, maybe? I think back to the Witcher 3 demos in which their main demo was... Geralt hunting one of the first major monsters where you're tracking it and you're gathering all of the stuff and you're making the potions in order to kill it. And then you have the actual fight with it and it's very impressive and very cool, right? Yeah. But and it's a it's a good vertical slice, but it is maybe one percent of the totality of what makes that game special. Like, Absolutely. Not yeah. even not even close to that. It it does not represent the emotional arc it doesn't represent like the really good quest uh the writing for the quests or the side quests it doesn't uh represent the scope of the world it doesn't represent there's just so much that gets lost in trying to do this itty bitty vertical slice with an rpg which by its nature is going to be like 100 150 hours so yeah absolutely like and let's face it cd project red has proved itself over and over again that they know how to make a, a great open world game so that's why I'm not exactly like down on them, like saying I'm never going to play this game because I know that there is a still an excellent chance they can surprise me. It's going to be the first next gen game, truly next gen game, though. I don't care that it's coming out on PS4 and Xbox One. It's going to be a <laughs> game that you want to play on a next gen console. Yeah, we're definitely going to see that. I, bet. I can just picture my PS4 taking off like a jet engine every time <laughs> I like turn the corner. You put in Cyberpunk, you turn on your PS4, and it just go starts melting. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it becomes play. sentient that would be a very cyberpunk thing for uh, it to that happen. would be very frightening <laughs> i am build. i think i mentioned in the previous episode that i'm planning on building a brand fancy new computer uh yes around september or so when the new video cards come out and so that'll be just in time to play some cyberpunk yeah and then you can truly uh push the limits to see what your computer is capable of yes push it to the limit do and then rock along the razor's edge exactly safety not guaranteed well done um, thank you uh, the one thing i do like about cyberpunk two things i like driving around in the car that looks cool uh-huh that is a cool car when you're driving around what looks like the car from knight rider yes <laughs> that's a win uh the other thing is i really like the kind of detective vision from batman arkham asylum or witcher 3 uh only you can kind of like rotate it and it's like 4d or 3d or something i don't know it looks cool that's it does look pretty cool it it does look very punky yes so i don't know and i guess we'll get the full effect of the world when we actually get to play it 
So yes, uh, it should be coming in November. I think I think the expectations for CD Projekt and Cyberpunk are so high because of Witcher Three that yes. we're already seeing a pre backlash, even though people don't have a lot <laughs> to backlash against. No, so of course they're taking apart every single little thing the way they did with like remember the puddles in Spider Man. Yeah. People, uh, I guess it's what's called tallest poppy syndrome, where the tallest poppy gets cut down quite easily. Oh. Or, or crab bucketing is also another term for it. Ah. Well, I guess we will see how cyberpunk turns out. I hope it turns out good, because I need a good, rich, meaty RPG to talk about for the next few years on this podcast. Yeah, I hope I hope it turns out well, and I hope I end up liking it. I hope I finish it in more quickly than I did Witcher 3, which I took a good three <laughs> years to finish. <laughs> good luck with that one. Okay, Nadia, it's time to go on and talk about the five best games that are like Diablo. Don't go away. Hey, everybody, this is Cap Bailey, editor in chief of US Gamer, here to tell you about Branching Narratives, US Gamer's brand new podcast hosted by Jeff Green. This week, we had a discussion with Pete Hines. Let's listen in to some of his earliest memories from his time working on Morrowind. I visited Bethesda like around 98, so maybe about a year before you started. And at that time, there is no way in hell I would have ever been able to predict of all the game companies, all and PC game companies at that point, uh, mm-hmm. I think Xbox, I think Morrowind was the first game on Xbox. Yeah, um, that was our first that Bethesda yeah. would be the company that rose <laughs> to the place it's at I now. I don't know why you would. <laughs> I mean, I mean I it was, was just like a we, dorky, we you know, yeah. little. We, t- we took up like like one hallway in one part of an uh, of that building. Like there was, there's a hand. When I started in 99, I was the department. It was me and a marketing right. artist. That was it. I was the director of PR and marketing, but I had no... I had nobody else to do anything, you know, other than like having a, an assistant, somebody who actually came in and and took took workload off of me. That was that was Aaron Losey, uh, probably in two thousand and five was the first time I ever got like actual help in my department to to manage stuff and to work on stuff. Oh my god! So yeah. all of Morrowind was basically just you. <laughs> I did that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, just me and. And my marketing artist, that was it. I did, and, well, and I mean, you know, Todd and 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 folks on the team would pitch in and help out on on stuff. But yeah, I mean, I did everything on Morrowind, Jeff. I wrote the manual. Uh, I was the editor-in-chief for the strategy guide that we published ourselves. I, you know, I was in charge of the box and all of the ads and all of the community and PR and everything. Wow. And somehow, and somehow we pulled it off. Branching Narratives is released every single Wednesday. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nadia, today Diablo 2 is 20 years old. Where were you on 2000? Uh, June 20, I would have just been married. I got married on June 9th, 2000. No, sorry, 2001. Okay, sorry, I was still working. I was still at home, probably failing college or something. (laughs) I think I was probably working at KFC or something. You were at KFC? Yeah. 
Chicken. Nice. Chicken. My aunt has a story about this. Uh, she used to work at KFC, and she has a story about someone who used to like her and used to kind of take home chicken in his pockets and, like, you know, kind of offer it to her. My grandmother called him the Chicken King. My manager was a tatted-up ex-naval guy who chain-smoked. <laughs> of course. Named Ed, who talked about how all he wanted in life was to be a fry cook. Wow, good for him. Yeah, he ran a tight ship at that KFC. When was the, la- when was the first time you ever heard of Diablo 2? Oh, I don't remember. Um, I do know that I heard of Diablo. Uh, I heard of Diablo quite a lot in high school because people would play it on the on the computers there. But I did not play Diablo 2. I did play Diablo 3, of course, and really enjoyed that. I remember the first time I ever heard of Diablo was through one of those teaser trailers that you could find on a Blizzard disc. <laughs> the discs. Nice times. And it didn't even really show you much of what the game was all about. It just, I think it showed a church and a demon, and it was called Diablo. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that 420 by 380 resolution, grainy as hell. Yes. And then... A while, I don't remember when the original Diablo came out, but I do remember when Diablo 2 came out because my friends were all playing it. And I was like, oh. what is this game Diablo 2? And they were like, ah, uh, you click a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good description. It's very hacky slashy. And I was like, okay, uh, I don't understand, but sure. And people were like, yes. Uh, and also it's very buggy. So buggy. <laughs> <laughs> was I know that Diablo 3 had a ton of problems. I didn't know Diablo 2 had problems. Oh, yeah, it had a huge amount of problems out of the gate. A lot of cheating problems, especially mm. on Battle.net. Uh, but, yeah, Diablo 2, we've covered fairly extensively on this podcast in the past. Uh, we've had some. Pe- we've had David Brevik on the show to talk about it. We've had the other David, Dave Craddock, come on the show, and he talked about it for his book that he read, uh, Stay a While and Listen. And also, <laughs> we uh, did a Top 25 RPG countdown about it, because it was part of our Top 25 RPGs, Nadia. That's right, it was. Yeah, so you should go back and listen, re-listen to all those episodes again, because why not? <laughs> They're great comfort listening. Uh, and also, we did a big old oral history of Diablo 2 over on the site, which I strongly suggest you write read. It's, uh, it's intense. It's intense. It's an intense read, because that game had a lot of crunch. It would have, yeah. And then it came out of the gate with a lot of problems, which means more fixing. And I guess by then, at least they had the internet to, to patch things up, but it probably still wasn't easy. Yeah, I was looking through that oral history again, and the final line really ch- kind of chills me to the bone. <laughs> I think it was from Eric Schaefer and Max Schaefer, where they said, no regrets, it ruined a lot of lives, but it was worth it. <laughs> Woof. And I was just like, whoa, okay. Talk about making, talk about making sacrifices to the devil. I mean, they were working like 24, an insane amount of days because, I mean, not to get too much into the nitty gritty with that game, but they were basically hand designing so much of it. As a result, like they were just doing everything in super time consuming ways and totally burning out on it. Wow. Like that, that's the kind of stuff that gets you in the hospital. Yeah. Well, that's, that's video games. Uh, maybe, maybe it was not worth it to no. ruin your life over this video game that while it's a beloved classic it's just not worth ruining your life over a video game no it really isn't i, I have a lot of problems with crunch as you get older trust me as you get older you cannot do that stuff anymore you can say oh oh yes i can i can do it. no once you hit your 30s your body's gonna turn on you <laughs> take it from me who has been there and been there 
Okay, let's step off my soapbox for a minute and talk about the five best games that are like Diablo. Diablo 2, in particular, has, I would say, a very rich legacy. Nadia, a lot of imitators. Some of the games we, on this, we don't even really talk about at all, like Borderlands. I Borderlands is kind of a famous Diablo-like first-person shooter, but I don't know, like... I don't know if it's spiritually that similar to it, at least not in practical terms. The The feeling of it is so different, and the gameplay as well. Yeah, um, to me, when I think of a Diablo-like, I, I honestly think of that top-down view, which is just so much better for going against those enemy mobs and keeping them at bay, and it feels a lot more satisfying, too, to, to just be surrounded, and you see yourself surrounded, and you're like, uh-uh, I'm getting out of this, and you do, and they leave behind a ton of loot. You just can't get that same feeling in 3D, I feel like. In Diablo, it's almost like a high score challenge, where at the maximum end game, people are just trying to get the highest number of, highest amount of damage, right? Or yes. being able to take on the most intense, ridiculous portals. I feel like Borderlands, it's a lot more simplified. It's a lot more geared toward being kind of a party game that you can play with some of your friends. And it's not nearly as devoted toward min-maxing. In fact, I don't think it's devoted toward min-maxing at all. It's just, what's the craziest gun that I can get? <laughs> that's, that's the end game. What is the craziest gun I can acquire? But I, I don't know. Like I don't feel like I have to spend a lot of time discussing Diablo. There's always been this weird debate over whether it's an RPG. I think that's complete bunk. Of course, it's an RPG. I, I count it as an RPG easy. The whole thing is about building yourself up and stats and stuff. I mean, it's one of the purest distillations of classic D&D-style dungeon crawling. It has deep, exactly. deep roots in the roguelike genre, uh, where, I mean, at its core, you're crawling through a dungeon, getting the loots, improving your character. I mean, the only thing that it's really missing is a good is really intense uh, choice-driven stories, but you can't mm -hmm. have everything, right? <laughs> No, that was one thing about Diablo 3. I was like, uh, you asked me what's the story about now, I couldn't tell you. I know that Deckard Cain was in it because you don't forget him. That's all I remember. You're fighting Diablo. You're fighting, okay, yeah. The devil's doing a thing and you got to stop him from doing yeah, a thing. Yeah, he's doing a thing. Devil, you have to go underneath De Tristram, which in itself is like, you have to go underneath Tristram and go to the depths and fight Diablo the end. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Tristram's like kind of a really sad, little sad little town. Yeah, just a little bit. But... <laughs> Uh, in the years that have followed, there have been many games like it, as I've already said. I think the first game that I remember seeing, this was pre-Diablo 3, and this was the first time I met Max Shaver, was when they were showing Torchlight. Uh, Nadia, have you ever played Torchlight? No, but I do know Torchlight 2 is on the Switch, so that would be an easy way to get into it. Yes, and Torchlight 3 just entered early access. I think the original Torchlight is also on Switch. For my money, I actually kind of prefer the original Torchlight. Oh, really? Because I was reading about how um, basically the first Torchlight didn't have any multiplayer, and some people found that really detrimental. I kind of prefer it without the multiplayer, actually. I'll be honest. Yeah, I played Diablo 3 alone and really kind of enjoyed it as a single-player thing. I mean, Diablo can be really fun in a party, and some might even say that it's essential to play with people because, you know... You're partying yeah. up like you would in D&D &D, and you're going into the That's depths true. of the, the dungeons and all that. But I think that if you don't really have any other friends to play with, 
that maybe Torchlight can be a much more distilled and enjoyable, very streamlined experience as you're crawling through these dungeons. I have no friends, so yes, that works. <laughs> the Torchlight 2 is much bigger and more sprawling, I think. And not as focused. It's, it's definitely the Diablo 2 to the Diablo 1 that is Torchlight, so... Yeah, and I feel like in this day and age of RPGs that go on for 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 hours, I'm okay with having a little focus sometimes. Uh, Torchlight, of course, is famous because it's by the people who were originally part of Blizzard North, who ultimately went on to try and make Hellgate London, and whoo, that's a whole story for another time. Torchlight, it was basically a return to their roots in making a Diablo-like game, and it came kind of at the perfect time because uh, Diablo 3 was kind of, it, it had been announced, but we hadn't seen anything of it at the time. And it really filled the gap that had been left behind. Uh, we had games like Titan Quest, which I'll get to in a moment, but not the kind of really accessible game from the actual creators of Diablo. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, great, very cartoony, enjoyable graphics. Had that kind of Blizzard feel to it. Didn't try to be yeah, too deep. Yeah, I do deep. like graphics. And the thing that I liked about it the most, Nadia, is that you could have pets. Yes, I did notice that. Um, pets are apparently a big part of the, the experience. And you could have like a, what was it, like a, a lynx and a, a ferret. I don't know <laughs> if I want a ferret. I like, a, I like having a lynx, though. In Torchlight 3, you can have a llama. <laughs> what the hell am I going to do with a llama? <laughs> uh, the llama can kill people. Oh, okay. Well, if it's a killer llama, I guess that's different. Murder llama. Murder llama. <laughs> llama that craves blood. The thing that everybody really liked about this, and it was from one of the developers who was not at Blizzard North. They brought him in from a different project. Forgive me if I don't remember the name exactly right away, but basically the notion of it is that you can put treasure on the pet and send it right back to town. So you can don't have ah. to interrupt your dungeon crawling, and it really helps keep your inventory clear, which is really the bane of a game like I, this. I love that idea. Yeah, exactly. Like, I love that idea. Take your, all your vendor trash and put it on your cat, and your poor cat's like, Meow! just crawling along on his belly slowly towards town. I just, I, by the way, I really hate artificial limits on inventory. I just do. Oh, there's such a pain in the ass. Oh, I... And as much as I love Earthbound, like, that is the game's biggest detriment, especially early in the game when you only have nests and you have, like, limited inventory, which includes your weapons, by the way. No no separate slot for your weapons. Go to hell. Yeah, I, I really hate that. We, we're not in the 80s anymore. Please don't do that to me. It feels like every game does it, though, from Skyrim to Animal Crossing. Yeah, or they give, like you said, Skyrim, they give you, like, the weight where... I learned very quickly that if you keep dragon bones on you, you will get weighed down very fast. Yeah, that an extremely annoying feeling of you're in the middle of a dungeon, you've been collecting so much loot, and then all of a sudden you hit that artificial weight limit, and you're like, ugh. <laughs> Suddenly you ugh. can't walk. Yeah. You were fine like a pound ago, but well, that one pound sent you over. And you're like, okay, how many rusted swords can I get rid of? <laughs> yeah, because of course you got it. I'm like over there, oh man, cheese, I got to collect the cheese. <laughs> And it's like clang, 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 clang as more and more swords come up. It's the same in Diablo, where you're just like, Ugh, okay, my inventory is now full. How much crap can I get rid of? Uh, yeah, because you get so many weapons and so many copies of weapons. And this weapon is slightly better than this weapon, but... I think Torchlight was my first real exposure to this type of game, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't play Diablo 2 during its heyday, so... 
I didn't have a ton of nostalgia for it, but Torchlight was where I discovered that, in fact, an isometric uh, point-and-click dungeon crawler could be a lot of fun. Yeah, now that I think about it, when the time of Diablo, when Diablo 2 first came out, it, as you said, it was the 2000s, and I feel like a lot of computers at home weren't ready to handle that. Like, at that point, my house was probably still using a compact 486, like, just not a, a computer that's really meant for that kind of thing. Um, I feel like a lot of people, myself included, kind of got to know these sorts of games through the imitators that you mentioned, like Torchlight being one. I personally, when Diablo 3 Mania was really strong, I reviewed a lot of imitators that were on mobile, uh, including, I think it was called Dungeon Hunter by Gameloft. So I did actually play that for a while. It's a series now with like five entries. I don't know how popular it still is. But unfortunately, with those, when you take that formula and make it free to play, it is so easy to fleece people. These games are kind of designed with this notion of lizard brain loot collecting in mind. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like, point the thing, it goes boom, it explodes into uh, lots of items. We call them loot piñatas. <laughs> Where are they keeping all those swords and, and bows? Oh, I don't know, it's not your business, just pick them up. I mean, if you think about it, the furthest descendant of Diablo is maybe Destiny? Yeah, uh, that's a looter shooter. Yes. I mean, it's it fits in there, I think. Yeah. And I feel like I when I do play these games, um, I enjoy them for the same reason a lot of people enjoy Destiny, which is it sometimes it's fun to just sit there and shoot at something until it explodes and gives you items. Sometimes you just want to turn your brain off. I think the thing is, though, is that what separates Diablo and, say, a game like Titan Quest, which a lot of people consider to be as good as Diablo 2, if not better in some ways, is that... They aren't just mindless point and click thing explode go boom. You can a very you can spend a lot of time optimizing your character and finding really interesting builds and it's very satisfying to get that really interesting uh, piece of loot and you can do a lot of really interesting things to craft your item and put new skills on it etc 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 right? And the best ones aren't just mindless get the item keep going they actually have a lot of depth to them, and that's what separates these games from, I don't know, a Borderlands, which I'm going to just keep dumping on. <laughs> Borderlands is here for us to hit with a big stick and nothing else. I don't like Borderlands. I'm sorry. I, I find, I've never been a fan. I find it's world obnoxious. Yeah, that's kind of the thing, isn't it? I like the idea of Pandora. I think it's really interesting, but then they add all this, like, meme we're trying to be so funny things to it, and it just never stops, and it's like, okay, guys, I get the joke, you can stop. It's like Futurama by way of Family Guy, where... Exactly. Let's, let's hey, do Lois. the world of Futurama, but without any of the humor. Yeah, without any of the, the, you know, the cleverness. Yeah, especially in Borderlands 3, when you're flying around in the ship. But getting back to Titan Quest, this one's pretty good. I think it came out in around 2006, 2007. It's basically Diablo 2, but it's in ancient Greece. It's pretty cool. The whole idea is the Titans have been, because the Titans are the enemies of the Olympian gods, and in this particular story, they have been sealed away. And of course, they break out because that's what bad guys do, and they attack humanity, and you have to be a hero and stop them from doing Titan stuff because the gods, uh, the communication with the gods, as I recall, has been like cut off, so they can't really do anything except sit on Olympus and drink ambrosia, whatever the gods do. The way it's been described to me is that it's Diablo 2, but a lot more, a lot slower and more tactical. Mm, that's interesting. 
Yeah, so where Diablo 2 has the random generation and it moves at a faster clip and maybe it's more satisfying, Titan Quest is more intense. It requires a lot more thought uh, into how it, you deal with individual encounters. Um, it's more bespoke than Diablo. So it's a different right. vibe for sure. Yeah, and you actually, you mentioned earlier about how some of the more cerebral uh, loot uh, shooter looters can give you a chance to be more tactical. Uh, and as with Titan Quest, like you can actually combine your classes, can't you, and come up with some really cool stuff. I think Titan Quest is the Diablo 2 uh, formula taken to another level in a lot of respects. And it's one of the better realizations of it, except for one of the other games that we're going to be talking about. But I think it's also on Nintendo Switch, Nadia. Yeah, that's also on Switch. And from what I checked of the reviews, it's rated quite highly, so that means it's a good port. One, of, It's the 10th anniversary edition that came out in 2016 uh, that enhanced it in a lot of ways. It holds up better than Diablo 2, which probably needs a remaster, though, given Blizzard's track record with remasters, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, that that was a problem with what was it that can't, just came out? Diablo Warcraft 3. Warcraft 3. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't that was a big ouch. Yeah, it's too bad, especially given like how much better Command and Conquer ended up being than Warcraft 3, I think. Yeah, I heard like I'm not a Command and Conquer fan, but I heard like it just blew everything away and it's actually a really great port. Like everything else, it is published by THQ Nordic, but this is one of the things that THQ Nordic evidently did right. <laughs> Speaking of Titan Quest, uh, I would say that its spiritual successor is another isometric hack-and-slash looter game, and that would be Grim Dawn. It's by the developers of Titan Quest. It's built on a successful Kickstarter campaign. It has a couple of media expansions at this point, um, Ashes of Malmouth and Forgotten Gods. And uh, a lot of people are like, yeah, this, this is so good. It looks like a steampunk post-apocalyptic game is how I would kind of describe it. It's not one I have played myself, but it's definitely, of all the games on this list that I would want to visit, it's, this is probably the one I'd want to check out. Has a has a really interesting story about, like, humanity getting caught up between a war with, like, two alien factions, and, uh, of course, the world is destroyed, and you have to try to eke out a living in, like, kind of a Victorian London. So it's definitely a different sort of environment than what you usually get with, like, you know, as Greece or some mythological land or the or hell or, or whatever. Yes, uh, here's a Steam review. In a flooded market of ultra-complex or easily mastered ARPGs, Grim Dawn rides the middle ground. A great experience without having to research different build guides like Path of Exile, yet still challenging and engrossing. It has a vibrant modding community like Torchlight 2, but still has support, expansions, and updates from the developer. Titan Quest is a great legacy follow-up to Diablo 2, but Grim Dawn is one of those games that's still being actively supported. Uh, it yes. had an expansion quite recently in Forgotten Gods, and is maybe the game that you want to be playing right now if you don't want to just play Diablo 3. Remind me, or, or if this was just a fever dream or something, Diablo 4 was confirmed, right? Yes, Diablo 4 has been confirmed. I We got a title screen or Blizzard something. has been slowly but surely trickling out new information and uh, various information about it, but it's kind of like, eh, I don't know. I don't know, like, what exactly they want to accomplish with Diablo 4, and I wish they would just make Warcraft 4 already. So it, it, it's just at this point, we don't know when, when Diablo 4 is ever going to happen, so you may as well, if you want that itch scratched, you may as well go with Grim Dawn. Yeah, especially since Grim Dawn's not going to be full price. 
Yeah, you can get it at a Steam Summer Sale right now for five bucks, Nadia. Five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. That's five bucks that would otherwise go to, I don't know, a hamburger or something. So you may as well. <laughs> yeah, you can 80% off. That's pretty dang good. So that's a lot better than Blizzard game, which never seemed to go on sale. No, do they never go on sale? They never really get included in the whole... Why would uh, they? Blizzard knows true. that they can sell things at a premium. And they usually do. They're like Nintendo in that regard. Anyway, I said that it's probably the best uh, game to pick up right now, except for this one, which probably is the single most popular game on this entire list. That is Path of Exile, which, uh, Nadia, I feel like I've been following this one for ages. I'm pretty sure we've had the developers on at various points on Axe of the Blood God. It is very, very, very popular, and it's known for having... It's kind of like Diablo 2, only it's known for having its extremely, insanely, ridiculously huge skill tree. Skill tree of doom. <laughs> skill tree of death. Isn't it free to play? I thought I read that it was free to play. It is free to play, but they have a fairly complex economy for the way that they pay things. Their whole thing is that we are doing ethical you know, microtransactions, blah, 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 blah. I don't know if any <laughs> microtransaction could be considered ethical, but whatever. At least you're it, probably better than those, like, Dungeon Hunter games and clones that I played when you actually did have to shell out to get ahead in the games, unless you wanted to grind for hours and hours. It's a humongous game, though. Like, it has had a huge number of updates. It is the game that really hardcore fans of this genre have really actively embraced, especially in the wake of Diablo 3. Like, Diablo 3 wasn't that successful slash popular when it came out, and it kind of left people looking for an alternative, and Path of Exile was it for a while. Right, yeah, because it took a long time for Diablo 3 to really get up to snuff. And then it came out on console, not on Switch, but it did come out on console, and uh-huh. it has it went to another level of popularity despite being on Xbox One. Poor Xbox One. We said every we said every uh, uh, episode, and we poor Xbox One. I sound like my old Irish grandmother. Oh, it's time he was away. I think we had a, a Microsoft an Xbox stand in our comments just the other day. And good for you. I, I appreciate your your vigor. I salute it. It actually did just come out on PlayStation Four last year, though. That's uh, that's pretty cool, actually. That's a good choice. Yeah, it came out on Xbox One first. Uh-huh. because the Xbox One has <clears throat> very similar architecture to your typical PC. And so does the PS4, but Xbox more so. It's using a lot of, like, the... As, it's pretty much Windows 10 in a box. Behind, under-the-hood stuff makes it a lot easier to just port games straight over. That's, I think, part of the reason why PUBG was over there first as well. But, yeah, it came out on PS4 in uh, 2019, and they have a sequel coming. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. When you make a sequel to a big, big game, there's always some pushback. I wonder what's going to happen. Well, Path of Exile 2 is going to be a big deal. Big, big deal, I think. Is Do you know or do we know at this point if you can take your data from the other game and transfer it to the new one? Absolutely no idea, but I'm going to guess no. Ooh, that's going to be rude. That's going to be a hard sell, but who knows? It might be fine. Yeah. And here's the other thing. Tencent is a majority holder in grinding gear games, so... Ugh. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'd be a little concerned about the uh, what will happen to the uh, microtransactions in that case. Well, it's not only that. I just I don't think Tencent's a great company. <laughs> just no, it's really it's uh, it's it's a company I side eye. Maybe play Grim Dawn if you're kind of uncomfortable with that. <laughs> yeah, like I said, you know, continuing the other conversation we were having, I'd still probably go with Grim Dawn. And finally, if we want to get into more of the borderlands kind of aspect of this this is by far 
the least in-depth game on this list. And that is Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. But nah. Mike likes it. If you like superheroes, yeah. Marvel Ultimate Alliance right here. It's on Nintendo Switch. Has all of your favorites, like that guy and that one other hero. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy with the, the, the bright tights. Do you, can you tell that I'm not a, much into comic book heroes? I'm very eh on them. I know some from Osmosis because my husband likes them a little bit. And, of course, there's the Marvel movies. But um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 is, is interesting because, it, yes, it is very kid-oriented, and that's fine. And I find the uh, same thing for Minecraft Dungeons. It's the same idea, mm. just uh, a, little more, uh, a little more shallow. People who played it definitely call it shallow, which to me says, okay, well, they're just trying to get, make it a little easier for kids. So the idea of bringing children into this uh, genre that they're not that familiar with, I like that. If you want to talk about Mindless Hack and Slash, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 right there, it's it's really just, it's kind of like the Lego games in that it's an excuse to engage oh, with your favorite so heroes. boring. God, if you want to torture me, just send me to, to review a Lego game. I'll just, like, shove a bunch of Legos down my throat before I have to review another one of those. The original Lego Star Wars was so good, Nadia. The original idea was a lot of fun, but God, did they ride that horse. And I'm saying this as a Mega Man fan. I know from <laughs> riding dead horses, but no, they're just such pale imitators of each other. Uh, well, they ran out of ideas after a while, but Lego Harry Potter was good. But Yeah, when the idea was fresh, it was fun. Yeah. But now it's like... Yeah, still going, too. Of course it's still going. I, I know that we're not exactly making a compelling pitch here. I'm just saying that it's a game that you can play. That's very accessible. <laughs> and if you're into heroes and stuff, great. There you go. And Mike liked it. Yeah. Um, I guess it's being a lot of fun if you have a kid who's a, a fan <laughs> of superheroes and you play with them. People are like, wow, Kat and Nadia, you're really, uh, you're really pushing this game on me. You're just being like... Yeah. I don't know. If you, uh, it's on sale, go ahead. Go for it. Actually, Minecraft <laughs> Dungeons is the newer of the two and the more popular. So that's another alternative, honestly. That's the one I'm more interested in, even though I did hear it's a little simplistic. I generally enjoy the Minecraft world, and I think it's really interesting and creative, so uh, I wouldn't mind giving that one a try if it ever goes on sale. Five games, uh, multiple games here, um, all of them playing to different tastes. Uh, Torchlight 3 is definitely kind of in the vein of, like, it is following in the path of Diablo, but it's fairly accessible. You've got Path of Exile, which goes a little crazy with the skill tree, and it's also free to play, so you don't have to necessarily pay for anything certainly not gameplay related stuff uh titan quest is the classic of the bunch and also slower and more in depth probably the most hardcore of them uh grim dawn is the kind of the more modern version of that aesthetic um and really kind of splits the difference very well and it's also very cheap at the moment marvel ultimate alliance 3 is a kid the game that you play with your kids same with minecraft dungeons so yeah like there are so many different flavors of Diablo at this point that I really feel like you can just find something that will really appeal to you. It's a very rich genre, I think, Nadia. It is. It's very easy to get into as someone who kind of dove in headfirst in Diablo 3 without knowing a, a whole bunch about Diablo. I found it, 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 there's so much to do and so much to just kind of keep you, you busy that it, it's very enjoyable. I like Torchlight 3. Actually, uh, I've been playing a little bit of it. I'm playing as a robot that has a chess cannon. <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it, I think the humor is a little bit on the news, uh, on the nose. Uh, they have punny names, which I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. 
<laughs> I get that reference. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very much in the vein of I get that reference. But like I said, I have a murder llama, so I can't complain too much. Yeah, what more do you need? Robot and murder llama. That sounds like a, a good superhero team up. And Torchlight 3 is in early access right now, and they just unveiled the final act, so we'll be finding out more about that soon. So one way or another, the legacy of Diablo 2 lives on, and eventually we're going to have Diablo 4, and... I don't know. Like, I don't think this genre is going away anytime soon. If anything, people are going to keep leaning, uh, keep leaning into it. I think Nadia. Yeah. I think these, you know, given how these, we're talking about these games here and they haven't really fallen off or anything like that. People seem to still like them a whole lot, or if not play them a whole lot still, uh, people love their ARPGs, I suppose. And, uh, that'll be enough to keep them warm until Diablo four comes out and hopefully doesn't disappoint us. (laughs) Well, that's a big ask from Blizzard these days. It really is. Uh, it can really go either way. Okay, Nadia, happy birthday to Diablo 2. Go check out all of our other coverage about it. Let's continue on to the track of the week. Okay, Nadia, as always, every single week we take a look at a new track from an RPG because music defines so many of the feelings that we are in our heart when we play these games. And this week we have... A track from Pokemon Sword. See if you can recognize this one. Yeah, that's the Battle Tower theme from Toby Fox, who previously, of course, is most famous for Undertale. He's just been popping up all over the place, Nadia, helping out with various soundtracks, hasn't he? He has, yeah. He's Well, he's extremely talented. Um, Undertale has one of the best RPG soundtracks ever. And uh, I, as I recall, Undertale made a huge splash in Japan, and people were saying on the... Uh, the Reddit that the Nintendo Reddit I go on sometimes. Oh, Toby Fox and Sakurai went on a date. So <laughs> basically, uh, Sakurai and Toby Fox got to meet, and of course, Toby Fox contributed songs to uh, Smash the uh, the Me Fighter. And at some point, he got to contribute the uh, Battle Tower theme to Pokemon, and it's it's extremely Toby Fox. I don't know if you've heard Megalovania Cat is one of the probably toby's most popular song to the point that it's actually a meme but it has very much the same echoes the same energy the same like really energetic introduction um speaking as an undertale fan myself though i definitely hear notes of like um the theme that plays in undertale when you battle when you battle undyne uh i forget what that particular theme is called but it has the same energy the same rest uh, Toby Fox is just extremely versatile. He's a very, very good composer. He started composing. He started by composing themes for an Earthbound hack, and since then he's just been like, you know, in demand for clear, obvious reasons. It's, he's produced very few bad songs. I have not heard Megalovania because I am just that in touch with video game culture. I will. <laughs> I have listened to a lot of Pokemon songs, though, Nadia. And uh, this song is way more, oh, how should I say, energetic than your average Pokemon theme. 
I felt like I wanted to go and fight some Pokemon. Yeah, well, that's the whole point. You actually, the, the battle tower is actually really funny. You you encounter one kid, little little kid, little kid is dressed up in a Pikachu costume, saying how like he left behind his friends and families to fight, and he, he knows nothing. He has no master. He is just a child fighting for <laughs> Pokemon. It's really funny, but yes, it, it does fit that theme. I also think it fits Sword and Shield in general because Sword and Shield has the most energetic, pumping boss theme in the series, in my opinion. And I feel like the Battle Tower theme is a good counterpart to that. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's interesting. Uh, Toby Fox is not the first Westerner to uh, help out with these games. Their art director is James Turner, who yeah. uh, designed characters like Buzzswole. So I think it's interesting <laughs> to see uh, <laughs> Westerners uh, so far, like, placed so far up in some of Pokemon. So I agree. I'm actually, it makes me happy when not just the Pokemon company, but when Nintendo acknowledges something as easily like that, like when they say, oh yeah, we, when we made Breath of the Wild, we were inspired by uh, Skyrim, we were inspired by The Witcher 3. Mm. Uh, just that crossover, that cultural crossover, I feel, is very important. Uh, another example, they're saying, uh, Nintendo has said that they are looking to Red Dead Redemption 2 for Breath of the Wild 2, and I find that's a very interesting link, so to speak. I already mentioned that I think Pokemon Sword and Shield doesn't deserve the hate, mostly because I really like the Galar region. I actually do like the art direction and the graphics in the game for the most part. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the newer Pokemon, just because, I don't know. I, I love them. I, I miss the design sense of the first couple generations. I think the current one. They don't look be too a much, Gen 1 They look too much like, they look too much like Digimon. Did you? Well, God, it's been like that since uh, since Ruby and Sapphire. I know Ruby and Sapphire. Easy Lucario. Like it was the most Digimon ass Digimon ever made. You know. I know, but I don't like that aesthetic, and they've only <laughs> doubled and tripled down on it over the years. Have you ever caught? Have you caught a Dreepy yet? That's one of my favorites in the, what the is new it? ones in the game. It's it's a ghost dragon type. It's called Dreepy. It's adorable. Its first form is adorable, and its third form is devastating. It's so, my favorite. I like Mimikyu. Uh, that's from great. Gen 7. That's, that's much more in the vein of classic Pokemon designs. The uh, the newer ones just are kind of overdone. Like the legend. The wolf with the sword yeah. and everything. Yeah. I, I kind of like the legend with the wolf and the sword. It reminds me of the of the Sif from uh, Dark Souls. I was going through Pokemon Sun and Moon and looking at stuff like Necrozma and I'm like, man, what, these things are overly desi- over-designed. But then you have like such such cute simplicity with like Rowlet and, and Litten and Rowlet's final form is actually really cool. Yes. Oh, okay. I'll grant you that. Pokemon Swords uh, music is outstanding, especially the music in the the gym battles. Yes, uh, I love that music. Uh, when you get into the final fight, when when the Pokemon Dynamaxes, I never cease to get excited. Every time the gym leader would pull out, be like, all right, it's time for Dynamax. And it's very Dragon Ball Z where they're it's like, now you're now witness my final form, you know? I love how they each have like their own little unique animation before they throw their Dynamax. Like Opal, who's like 80 years old, she visibly like cannot stand the heft of this Pokeball and she falls over practically before she just throws it. And you and the music is almost like people shouting in unison like uh yeah you can hear like the whistles and cheers of the stadium audience which is very japanese like watching japanese baseball uh where people would be pounding the drums and doing the whistles and times and everything uh because they have the coordinated chants 
in Japanese yeah. sports. That's pretty cool. I didn't know, like, I, I know that, like, I've watched Japanese wrestling and they kind of, like, clap for stuff. They don't, you know, sit there and jeer and, and pound uh, in their, you know. They're not jeering, like, they're cheering. No. Yeah, they're very, they're very polite about it. Yes. Oh, Pokemon Sword has a really nice and very memorable soundtrack, which is more than I can say for some of the more recent entries, because honestly, I don't think I've really liked a Pokemon soundtrack since uh, I want to say Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. I don't listen to, I, I don't play Pokemon for the soundtracks, I admit that, except you, uh, the first games have a lot of nostalgia, and I like them for that. Like, I still think the uh, Lavender Town theme is excellent. I think and, the, uh, I thought the soundtracks for the first three or four generations were excellent for the most part. And then they just got really generic at a certain point. I have one, one theme that I really like and nobody likes other than me is the Jim Lear theme for X and Y. I really love that song. I do not care for it at all. What do you like about it so much? <laughs> uh, it's just very techno synthesizer stuff. I, it's just the kind of stuff I like. I know a lot of people will stand for the black and white soundtrack. I don't know why. Uh, I guess the I gym like battle it. theme is pretty good, I suppose. I do like acting. I think about it. I kind of like black and white soundtrack. It has a few songs that are really good. I think it was that Port Town or something like that that had a really mysterious, or Veil Town, Drift Veil Town, that was it. And had, it has a very sort of mysterious sound to it that I like. It's kind of a like, get the hell out of here kid sound. The one thing that I can say that's good about the black and white soundtrack is, if I recall correctly, when you get to the end of a gym battle, the final Pokemon that pops up, the music will will turn into a fast-paced version of the classic Pokemon theme, which I... Yeah, I do like the fact that Pokemon generally does have a dynamic soundtrack for these big battles. Of course, uh, Sword has that with the way that the audience cheers increasingly as the bigger Pokemon come out. All right, that's the track of the week. If you want us to talk about a particular track, send us a note in the columns or email me or DM me on Twitter. My DMs are open. Okay, Nadia, it's letter time. Uh, first one is from Drachmalius. The Xbox Defender has logged on. Better watch out because Master Chief be angry. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, you don't want to piss off Master Chief. That's, that's fair. Xbox One might have its issues, but the One X is the best console I've ever had, Nadia. Strictly as a piece of oh. hardware, does everything I want it to do. The exclusives haven't been that great this gen, but Game Pass gives you all of them for not much money, and they do have hits every now and then. Besides, like 90% of the games are multi-platform anyway, and Gears Tactics was a fantastic tactics RPG this year, even if it's a PC first release. It's not an RPG, it's a tactics game. There's a difference. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to turn this into a sales pitch for Xbox. They're a multi-billion dollar corporation, and I can care less if they're winning, but I've been satisfied with the system, so uh, yeah, I guess. I wouldn't recommend an Xbox to somebody necessarily. I think a PS4 is a better buy, but... If you get an Xbox One X and a Game Pass, I mean, first of all, some of the third-party games that you can get, like, you're just going to get the best versions of those, like... Yeah, absolutely. Red Dead Redemption 2, best version is on Xbox One X, hands down. Uh, There are some other games that are also notably superior on that system, and you can get them sometimes for free, sometimes on for sale. I think Red Dead Redemption 2 right now is actually on Game Pass, so... Yeah, Game Pass is a really good. It's a really good value. It's pretty excellent. Yeah, and I, Xbox isn't historically known for its Japanese RPGs, but a huge number of them are on it. If if I recall correctly, actually, maybe the entire Kingdom Hearts series is on Game Pass right now. 
Yeah, I think Square Enix is kind of getting with it with yeah. the Xbox. So you could, yeah, I would still recommend if you're an RPG fan, go with the PS4 and the Switch. But uh, you won't be bereft of anything, uh, you know, with or uh, without anything if uh, you go with the Xbox instead. I played Witcher Three on the Xbox One X, and I'm happy I did it. That was probably that would have been a good system to play it on. Yeah, uh, it has connection. It, it, the Xbox One X is a lot more open in its cross-play connections and the ability yes. to upload saves to the cloud, its connections to PC and everything. So, Yeah, uh, definitely Sony has to stick up its butt in that <laughs> regard. Well, that's what happens when one system is winning and the other system is not. Is that the yes. other? Yes, has, has tail as old as time. So yeah, no beef with the Xbox One X necessarily. I do think that it just has not had a great generation and and this is a petty thing, but I hate that UI. The UI really sucks bad. Oh, it's so bad. The dashboard is freaking awful. I mean, it's it it drives me up the wall. I just I go out of my way not to turn on my Xbox whenever possible, <laughs> which makes it kind of hard to play. <laughs> you can't play your Xbox if it's not on, cat. Yeah. I, I don't care how good Forza is. If I don't want to actually turn the Xbox on to play it, like that's kind of a problem. Because it's like you you want to play Forza first, you must answer these questions three. But like that's the way it is with the UI. And can I just say that actually I don't like the Xbox One X controller that much. I do not like the controller at all. I I people say are you crazy? But no, I do not like the Xbox One controller. People keep going, oh, it's a work of art, an incredible act of <laughs> industrial design. And I'm like, yeah, but the PS4 controller is just more comfortable. Like, I don't care. It's so much more comfortable. I don't care that it, it like, dies after five minutes. But it does. I would just rather use a PS4 or a Switch Pro controller over an Xbox One X controller, which is freaking heavy. It's, like, heavy. It's heavy, it's big, and I don't know, maybe I have small hands, maybe you have small hands, too. We haven't measured them, but... I just find the Xbox One controller way too big, and maybe every time I hold it, I kind of flash back to the Duke. Okay, Ardia Aba Abe? Ardia Abe? Yeah, okay. Well, I'm here to defend the Neo Geo Pocket Color. It's an amazing little system, well-built, great screen, and the fantastic eight-direction clicky joystick. Didn't get a ton of games, but it did have some great ones. Metal Slug First Mission and Second Mission are really good. All the run-and-gun action you'd expect, except you can take it on the go, and branching pathways. I have and beat Biomotor Unitron. I remember nothing but looking at photos. I think I could bust out my Neo Geo Pocket Color and go to try again. Oh, and Europe got uh, Fossile. Fossile being a, a tactics game, Nadia, which was supposed to yeah, be an excellent just... turn-based tactics. And if you're into fighting games, the Neo Geo Pocket Color has had them in space. Yeah, a wonderful little uh, arcade, handheld, wonderful little fighting games. Like, the fighting games don't look very impressive when you just look at still screenshots, but when you watch them mm-hmm. in action, uh, it's quite impressive. Oh, I wonder what Eric would think of it, because Eric is, like, really big into the fighting games and Metal Slug. Like, he's an SN- he's the go- guy to go to for SNK lore or anything you have to make. Eric, I have a question about SNK. Like, what can I tell you? Well, I mean, all of this stuff is on Switch, so it's almost like, what's the point? <laughs> but It's kind of at that point at this point, so to speak. Uh, I... But didn't we just see a presentation that said the Neo Geo Pocket Library is coming to the Switch? It is, yes. Uh, so if you're so you really go. into that very specific type of nostalgia, there you go. Then you win. Congratulations. If you want a handheld within a handheld. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to do that, I'd rather have the Game Boy Advance and the DS, to be honest with you. But they have, like, the actual pocket color within the screen of the Switch 
it's like looking at a mirror and then into another mirror. It's weird. Yes. When you get the tunnel of mirrors. Okay. Uh, Bo the Raven says, After listening to this episode and looking up some more info about, info about the Wonderswan, I'm quite impressed by how forward-thinking its design feels. I even had a third-party software developing kit released for it and would connect to the internet through a mobile phone network. Although that must have been a terrible experience. Moreover, its limited library of RPGs seems to still have a few interesting original titles, such as Namco Super Wars, a crossover tactical RPG with classic Namco characters, and Riviera the Promised Land, later ported to Game Boy Advance. I wonder whether the Wonder Swan would have found more of a niche if it was released today, as I can imagine that the current amateur indie developer scene would love to tinker with it. Yeah, maybe, but the Switch owns that space these days. Pretty much. I remember when it was the Xbox 360 that owned that space, but uh, yeah, I guess times change. I think that the yeah, the Vita could have had more success if it had been released um, at a time when, or maybe if it had gone after indie developers a lot harder at the very beginning. If it had been able to just get tons of Steam indies before anything else, right right out right of the gate, I think a lot of it would have had more crossover appeal. But the problem was that from the start, it was positioning itself as this, you know, high end system that was effectively a PS3 on the go. And when you do that, you're just not going to have enough games. It did not realize what it needed to do until it was too late. Pretty much. That was that was it. Like it really hooked itself up as a, a counterpart to the PS4, the way that like Nintendo was trying to make the GameCube and the Game Boy Advance a pair. All right. Thanks to the people who wrote in to us. As always, we'll just try and keep up with the mailbag as much as possible. Um, we're going to keep up with the console RPG quest now that we've kind of caught up. Uh, and we've been slaying on the Xbox. It's about time to talk about the Xbox next, Nadia. <laughs> time to get out of the old hammers. We're going to talk about the system that began all this horror. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, I don't know. We'll be nice to the original Xbox, probably. I... I... I eventually grew a fondness for the original xbox but god that thing was ugly i'll look forward to talking about it uh, that might be what we talk about next week so please look forward yeah. to that but until then axel bloodgod is a u.s gamer podcast you can find us on itunes stitcher wherever podcasts are sold you can follow me on twitter at the underscore catbot nadia is at nani oxford make sure to subscribe to our newsletter which comes out every single wednesday and we also stream on YouTube from US GamerNet every day or every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. If you enjoy podcasting, well, you probably heard the promo that happened at the middle point of this episode. You should go listen to Branching Narratives, which comes out every single Wednesday. It's hosted by Jeff Green. Uh, we've had Austin Walker on. We've had Samantha Coleman. And this past week, we had Pete Hines, who was sharing all of his memories of Morrowind and working on Bethesda and talking about lots of things that are extremely relevant to RPG fans. So yeah, go subscribe to Branching Narratives on all of your on your podcatcher of choice. Okay. We'll be back next Monday as always. But for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. <laughs>